far as the standards go, there is really a lot of good content out there. But what always frustrates me about the content that we have out there as cybersecurity practitioners is there is content, but people don't read it. The practitioners and the cybersecurity executives or software executives are not picking up those documents and using them. It's surprising how much of the knowledge that Stan, you and I have worked on for 10, 15, maybe 20 years at this point is still new to so many people. Welcome to the Reimagining Cyber Podcast, where we share short and to the point perspectives on the cyber landscape. It's all about engaging yet casual conversations on what organizations are doing to reimagine their cyber programs while ensuring their business objectives are top priority. With my co-host, Stan Wisselman, Head of Security Strategist, I'm Rob Arrego, Chief Security Strategist, and this is Reimagining Cyber. So Stan, who will we be speaking with this week on Reimagining Cyber? Hey, Rob, I'm very excited that we have Nadia Bartol with us. Um, Nadia and I used to work together at Booz Allen, and it's been a number of years. Looking forward to our conversation. She's currently the Managing Director of Boston Consulting Group. Nadia, thanks for being with us today. Thank you for having me. Can you share your background before we get started? I'm a Managing Director at BCG Plutinian. BCG Plutinian is a technology arm of BCG that houses a deep IT, architecture, digital, cybersecurity, and risk quantification expertise. I've been here for four and a half years, and in this capacity, I advise large companies and sometimes not so large companies on cybersecurity strategies, how they can improve their cybersecurity and cyber resilience, as well as advising vendor community on their business of cybersecurity. Before that, I worked at Utilities Technology Council, which is an industry association of utilities of all kinds of sorts of shapes and sizes, electric, gas, and water. Uh, It's a global association. And while there, I built the cybersecurity program for the members. And before that, I worked with Stan for a very long time at Allen Hamilton, where I focused on large security programs and also worked a bunch with the National Institute of Standards and Technology and got involved in the international standards community. I remember when, at Booz Allen, you were very involved with ISO and NIST standards. Um, you had a, a big emphasis on supply chain, which I'm sure you took with you at UTC as well. One of the things that we're, we're seeing is that these adversaries are taking advantage of these less secure elements of the supply chain and working to subvert them. You spent a lot of time on trying to ensure that we had good standards in place around that area. Do you, do you think that, that we've got what we need or we need to make improvements? Where do you think things are at the moment? As far as the standards go, there is really a lot of good content out there. Yes, some of them need, uh, the more detailed ones need updates and the practices and processes changed. But what always frustrates me about the content that we have out there as cybersecurity practitioners is there is content, but people don't read it. Mm-hmm. So what is not happening or what is what is not happening as much as I would like it to is that the practitioners and the cybersecurity executives or software executives are not picking up those documents and using them. It's surprising how much of the knowledge that Stan, you and I have worked on for 10, 15, maybe 20 years at this point is still new to so many people. And I think it's a real challenge in our, in our field that there is content, there is practice, there is technology, there is process, but there is still lack of propagation, for lack of a better word, to the, to the right people who need it right now in their context. So Nadi, just 
expanding a little bit on that being kind of um, specific to the cybersecurity things that you're just seeing in general, what, what are some of the shifts? What are some of the conversations you're having? Uh, I'm having a lot more conversations on, on uh, building security in. Mm-hmm. It's taking a little bit of a different shape, right? It used to be waterfall, now it's DevSecOps. Uh, also, how does security and agile fit together? Um, and uh, there's more awareness that it's a good thing to do. As a matter of fact, I think it's funny because we've kind of ran past, you need to do this, and um, clients now expect that to be built in. Uh, and now it's kind of the flip side of it and trying to convince the practitioners that they need to do it. Um, and it's continuously evolving because the discipline is so content rich. There's so much people have to know. There's so much they have to learn and they have to be shifting their perspectives. Uh, so the topic of this podcast is cyber resilience and uh, we do need to think differently, not about how to secure the thing, but how to make sure that they get, the thing is secure. And even if it's attacked, it's going to keep functioning in the way that it's supposed to be functioning. And maybe eventually it will even fix itself. Uh, and then everything will be back to normal. And what I find fascinating again is that we've been having this conversation for at least 10 years, right. but this is still new. This is still new, it's still exciting, it's still, and, it, and you have to explain it, not everybody gets it. And you've been you know, associated with quote, build security in back in the days with the DHS program under Joe Jarzenbeck, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and then I imagine with the critical infrastructure at UTC, you were emphasizing the need to build security in and, and resilience of the critical infrastructure, whether it be oil and gas or electric or whatever it might be. But resiliency has a lot of different connotations. <laughs> um, what, what does cyber resilience really mean to you and how does that differ from cybersecurity? The difference is in focus. Although we had a whole study on the topic of cyber resilience in ISO, maybe three years ago, and we didn't find that it needed to be standardized. And then we proceeded with a series of standards in cybersecurity. So from one perspective, cyber resilience is just a, a, a new, not so new, elevated, more interesting buzzword that we moved from, right? When we started it, well, it, at some point it was InfoSec, then it became IT security, then it became information insurance, then it became information security and, and information then insurance, cyber security. And now it's cyber security and now we're going into cyber resilience. So sometimes I wonder, it's just the same thing, but it, we think about it differently. Some people think that cybersecurity is about, if we look at NIST as cybersecurity framework is protect, and cyber resilience is more focused on detect, respond, recover, and identify kind of kind of stays there. Uh, maybe it's maybe it's a bit of a better focus on how do we continue operating under duress, and what do we need to do, and how do we respond. But then, in some context, we did a couple of operational resilience assessments for some financial services entities, and in that context, cyber resilience was only that which supports you operating continuously under duress and other things that don't directly contribute to that to that focus were not as important and as relevant. Another perspective is that um, cyber resilience still has that really important people and process component. It's having that muscle when the bad things happen and having that uh, rather than looking it up somewhere, just doing what needs to be done and continuing operations in an organized and orderly fashion as much as possible. 
under whatever stressful circumstances that are going on. And then they migrating back into normal, whatever normal means when the emergency has passed. Yeah, I think Nadia, you bring up a great point, which is that, that interpretation that people are understanding the resiliency aspect relative to cyber in any sort of enterprise resilient program is how can we withstand the different things that are happening? It was from an operational, keeping the business going forward uh, point of view. And so it's, it's interesting to see how people are starting to pivot that direction. But what would you say are some key tips that you would actually share with uh, the CISO audience when you're thinking about kind of that transformation of their, their, their focus to be more resilient? Well, Rob, CISOs are a very stressed community because they're under so much pressure all the time and they only control a part of the picture that they are charged with managing, addressing, and sometimes fixing. So the first tip I would I would advise them to take care of themselves because this thing is not going away and it's only going to get worse. The second tip is not to be stuck on just technology, although most of the CISOs that I work with already know this, that the, 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 the question that I think is feared by many is, so you spent a million dollars on X last year, what do I have to show for that? So it's always about the mix of good technology with people that can, that know what to do with it, know how to configure it, know how to get the data out of it and know how to use the data that comes out of that good technology to manage the enterprise and manage its cybersecurity. Um, and then give your people a break and give them a break in a way that they can go learn. So for example, one of the guys I used to work with at UTC, one of my member utilities, would give his security operations center analysts, I think it was a day a month where they could do anything they wanted. They could read a book, they could do threat hunting, they could just to self-educate and self-direct in what they wanted to learn. And he thought it was an absolutely essential thing for them to continue developing and keep learning yourself. Sort of like a mental health day in a sense, right? Giving them a chance to take a breather and re-energize. Re-energize and look at what's interesting, right? Look at what's interesting for you as a, as a SOC analyst. Look at what's interesting for you as an identity management expert. Look, you know, uh, policy analysts, they need to go actually look at all of those regulations that regulators are putting out to see what's in them. And they may not have a chance to do that during the day. I also recently found out that uh, one of the digital divisions of BCG is doing the same thing with the data scientists and data engineers. They're giving them time to go look at, just go self-learn, go figure out what they need to know. And they're given training time. Let's not take vacation. Here's a training time, bank of training time, go figure out what you need to do. You also talked about, which I think is, is extremely the case out there, um, CISOs making these investments and then going back and having to answer the question of what is it actually delivering back to the business, yeah. right? Are, are there certain metrics that you're guiding some of the CISOs to be able to leverage in those conversations that they're having internally? And just as a FYI, Rob, Nadia is one of those metrics czars out there. She was involved with some of the early standards around security metrics. This is a very complicated question. It's complicated because uh, the metrics that CISO will use to manage the domain under their expertise, under their control, under their oversight, under their operations are different than the metrics they're gonna use to communicate them to senior executives and the boards. Uh, the metrics that CISO use, which are good metrics, are 
a variety of things. Some folks find maturity assessments actually useful. Some folks find various uh, different statistics compiled out of a variety of tools useful. Some folks find a combination useful. Some folks find matching the metrics or tagging the metrics to a framework useful. So whether it's a NIST cybersecurity framework or say as top 20 critical controls, it almost doesn't matter if this makes sense to the CISO and it makes sense to the folks who report to the CISO and they can use those to make things better, to affect improvement. To measure and then to demonstrate that they're progressing and maturing, hopefully. Right. So so if we want to go deeper, absolutely. So it's trends, is numbers, it's percentages. The total is always tricky, right? What is the my favorite is what is the percent of incidents of the total number of incidents? But well, we don't know how many total incidents were there. So we always have to think about what is it that's measurable and meaningful and what will be meaningful to the CISO and what levers can they pull based on these metrics? Have you put any thought around the kind of measures or metrics that you'd associate with the resilience? Because again, if resilience is a way of demonstrating that you can withstand attack and that you can continue to operate as a business, is it as simple as having tabletop exercises of being able to demonstrate that your organization can can withstand that attack and then be able to, you know, talk your way to figuring out how to operate in that kind of environment? Well, Stan, there are multiple things here. So certainly doing tabletop exercises is good. We find that when we help our clients with tabletops, that they actually, A, find them very instructive and B, they do better when bad things happen. And uh, then we end up doing more complicated tabletops for different groups of people and different sets of scenarios. So that's certainly helpful, but it doesn't help by itself. Mm-hmm. Knowing how much better I'm getting at my resilience or how good I am, I first need a definition of good. So, uh, Times and thresholds, how fast does it take me to fill in the blank, close off that port, fix that configuration, patch that system, respond to that incident, but not just raw numbers, right? We have to know what the organization thinks is good. And then we come to those tricky notions of risk appetite and risk tolerance. For resilience, for example, if I want to respond to everything within four hours, that is my threshold, and then I measure myself against the threshold and then over four becomes bad and under four becomes good, but then how bad is six versus 24? So to me, this always comes back to the management and operational decisions, thoughtful decisions based on some sort of a risk quantification that the organization needs to do to to define what is resilience, what is good resilience, what is not so good resilience, and how do we get back to, well, I'm satisfied with my performance or not, and then we'll look at the trends because things change and we need to know how long we're doing over time. It's all about what the relative risk appetite is, right, per per organization that you're working with, and being able to measure against that is, is key. So, Nadia, thank you very much for your time. Great information. Thank you for the tips for the CISOs. A lot of great takeaways in today's conversation with you. And we appreciate you sharing some time and and kind of providing your perspective on what you're seeing within the industry. So thank you again. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Thanks for listening to the Reimagining Cyber Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. 
If you would like to have us cover a specific topic of interest, feel free to reach out to us and you can find out how in the show notes. And don't forget to subscribe. This podcast was brought to you by CyberRes, a micro-focused line of business where our mission is to deliver cyber resilience by engaging people, process, and technology to protect, detect, and evolve.